Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Evelyn, great to have you back on the show. And Evelyn, you're our first special guest to come back for a second time. So it must have been oh, the first time you're on. Good stuff. That's a that's an honor. So I suppose I'm uh, I'm I'm the first in the in the two podcast club. Then for you, <laughs> absolutely. Now we're delighted to have you back, Evan, because I think there is a general sense that everybody's got through the winter. You know, there's a little bit of hope in the air that we're all looking towards this summer, and at the very at the very least, some autumn racing. And I know from talking to a lot of clients in Winning Coach Ireland with Rene, to a lot of listeners of the podcast as well, everybody has set um, some racing targets for the summer. So I think mm-hmm. it's an ideal time maybe just to check in on nutrition. So we put it out at the start of the week yeah. to get questions in to you and we've got about we've got a good 11 or 12 questions to get through so will we just rock on with it yeah yeah no time like the present i suppose we'll uh we'll we'll try and fit as many as we can in so look if i start going off on a tangent just let me know and uh i'll, I'll try and stay on the question but i have a tendency to talk so um unless we want to make this a, a three episode bumper special i'll I'll try my best <laughs> well, to stick on we'll the questions. We'll get you back into the three podcast club, yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> as a general opener, Evan, um, one question that came in from Barry Lennon was that when we're training for a marathon or a long race and we're logging maybe the typical 60 to 70 miles, which I think maybe a lot of our listeners do, what indicators are there to look out for when our diet isn't quite right? Are we, whether we're eating too much, eating too less, because I suspect you're going to say, Evan, that it's not just about how much we weigh, how much weight we're gaining or how much weight we're losing. There's probably other signs to show yeah. that our nutrition isn't quite on point. There definitely is. It's a, it's a good question. You know, not everyone likes to weigh themselves. So we even like, to be honest, weight itself is in an erroneous measure. So I, I have some clients, say, people going on a four or five hour cycle at the weekend and some ultra runners. And when we carve them up, they're heavier the day after their long session. That's when they're their heaviest because they have complete glycogen saturation, massive water retention, and big fecal loads. So just off the bat, weight alone is a pretty crap way to monitor like if you're eating enough or not. Uh, you'll, you'll see a trend over a couple of months, a couple of weeks, but weight and waist circumference are good for checking are there changes in your body fat. Um, okay. So you can use dual, dual factor authentication, I suppose, for weight. So th- there's that actual measured side. From a subjective point of view, if you're not eating enough, typically speaking, what, what does happen in someone who has something like relative energy deficiency syndrome, cortisol levels are absolutely through the roof, full of catecholamines, they have low blood sugar. So here's some other things to look out for that might tell you we probably need to eat a little bit more here. Number one, you wake up in the middle of the night hungry. Number two, uh, you find yourself reaching for junk food. You're not really sure why you're doing it. Um, number number three, you find it hard to sleep. So that's that's pretty common in overtraining or I like to call it under recovery. 
Um, and again, it's that massive amount of cortisol that can be corrected to a degree with food. Um, yeah. Number four, you're not able to tolerate your workload. So when people don't eat enough, if you look at how your body uses fuel sources, primarily we rely on glucose, then it's fats, then it's amino acids. If you don't have enough carbs in your diet, and that's what most people miss when, they, when they're not eating enough and they do big miles, you're going to rely heavier or to a higher degree on fatty acid oxidation, which is very inefficient. So you might start to see in training at the same heart rate, you're much slower. So your economy goes down or your exercise tolerance drops, or you find you're not able to do the same paces, same distances, or it just feels harder. All of those things would paint a picture collectively that you're not eating enough, you know? Yeah, there, there was one very interesting one that you said there, just about sleeping at nighttime, Evan. And I mean, if we don't get our sleep right, well, then we have no chance to, to get a oh, good yeah. week getting in. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned waking up at nighttime, cortisol levels high. And I must admit, it actually happened to me there last week, Evan, when I did my first real big pace run of the season a 45 minute effort up the mountains last week and for the first time now in a long time that night I just couldn't sleep and which you know I should have been out to sleep because I should have been exhausted which I probably was but I had a very hard tempo run that morning I had a very busy day with work and with the kids and I just couldn't switch off I mean are there any food things that we can take to help us yes. sleep like terrible teas for example or yeah. food isn't the solution so i suppose if you have someone who has insomnia something like that which you, you don't by the way insomnia is fast as like chronic thing where it takes a very long time to fall asleep pretty consistently if you have something like that medication and possibly talking to a psychologist or what you're looking to do otherwise for for, for most people, what can help them get to sleep a little bit better, a few simple things. Cut your coffee off or your caffeine intake about five, six hours before bed. That's number one. Number two, having a high glycemic index meal about four hours before your uh, desired bedtime. So something like a bowl of rice krispies and a bagel with jam, some dried fruit, a smoothie, um, okay. and not, not, not eating too close to bed. If you want to eat nearer to bed, two kiwis, really, really good. So all of these things, uh, what they do basically is they help your body um, decrease what's called sleep latency. So the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep, essentially by increasing the amount of circulating tryptophan and slightly increasing your blood sugar. So that tryptophan can get shuttled across by insulin into 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 your brain. And through the blood-brain barrier, where it's made into melatonin. So those, like the, the kiwis, things like pistachio nuts, turkey, milk even, you hear those commonly uh, talked about as sleep-friendly foods, because yeah. it's pretty rare It's pretty rare for a food to have a high or appreciable amount of tryptophan. Um, so that's why they help do that. Okay, yeah. Fa- fascinating. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. About the kiwi. The kiwi sounds great, Evan. And um, I'm sure people would be delighted to hear that it's okay to have a bowl of rice krispies after a hard day's um, working and running. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it leads on nicely to our nice topic. And, and 
about what to eat during our big long runs and our ultra training sessions and a couple of people had similar questions for example mm-hmm. Steve Moran and Chris Lawless pretty much asked the same thing um, okay. Steve asked what would you recommend from a carb-based drinks point of view for the average standard long run on a Sunday? Should we all just be taking Morton, for example, Evan M, the, the gel and the drink that Kachoki used so well during his sub-two-hour marathon run? Is that simply the best on the market or, or are they just good at marketing? It's a good one. And they're also good at marketing. Like Martin, you can't really reinvent the wheel with sports drinks, right? If I'll just go through some very quick uh, intestinal physiology to, to explain this. In your intestines, you have two carb receptors, GLUT5 and SGLT1, all right? So GLUT5 can suck up around 30 grams of fructose per hour. The SGLT1 can take up around 60 grams of glucose, dextrose, or maltodextrin an hour. So that's where that two-to-one ratio comes from, okay? Just, just FYI. If you're trying to maximize your carb intake to around 90 grams an hour, which is the most a human can do according to the research during exercise, you need to have that two to one ratio. So anything that has the two to one in it, Martin, um, Torque, High Five, they're more or less all the same thing. Martin just has good marketing. It looks sleek. It's not different. Um, Perhaps it mixes a little bit better and there's less, I suppose, uh, you know, artificial flavorings in it um for most people attaining 90 grams of carbs an hour is unnecessary unless you're knocking away at a fairly decent tempo for more than four or five hours okay most people will be just fine with 60 grams so that that can be achieved by using your bog standard high five and either some dried fruit haribo jellies or a gel every 40 ish minutes what I find working with like ultra endurance runners, as I know there are a few who listen to this podcast, texture change. So you, you, it's really desirable to have texture change, taste changes on those very long runs. Um, so I find it helpful for people to mix it up between that using one base drink that works. And just, just to note, if anyone has tummy issues or IBS or anything like that, commercial products that have fructose in it are probably going to make that significantly worse in exercise. So if you're someone who's kind of bogged down with stomach problems, you're you're looking to stick to something like an SIS gel and maltodextrin powder to make up your carb drinks, just FYI. Okay, and that was the question that Chris Lawless and Andrew Scorn had for us, Evan, that they were talking about that when we push on to beyond the marathon distance towards our big ultras, like our 100k ultras, where we can't be taking a gel every 40 minutes for, you know, six hours plus. So they were wondering what type of solid foods would you suggest? And I've seen a lot of ultra runners on the continent, for example, take avocados and um, eat boiled eggs. So I'm sure there's probably a conversation that we could have for 20 minutes around this but just a quick overview yeah a quick overview maybe Evan for you know your own thoughts on what we can eat once we're gone we're gone past four hours five hours and just that we can't stomach more gels so I suppose first thing there if you're gone over three four hours on the trot you need to take in protein as well so what I would often recommend there is if your stomach can handle it um something like a little protein ball or a protein bar 
So that's not always possible for a runner. So using the likes of um, essential amino acids or, you know, your optimal nutrition amino acids, mixing those into your bottles with your carb drinks is often necessary. Um, so that's, that's number one. That's something I would put in place for any ultra endurance runner on the track for a long time. Easy digestible protein sources so your muscles don't essentially uh, degradate themselves um, throughout your run. Number two, if you're looking to mix it up between carb sources, there's no need to be using gels all the time. You'll be perfectly fine with medjool dates, dried apricots, some banana chips, um, energy bars, Haribo jellies. All of those things are perfectly fine. There's no good food or bad food. The whole principle is can we get four to 600 mils of fluid per hour in, some sodium, some amino acids if it's really long and simple, easy to digest sugars. That's all you need to do. Whatever way you do that, that's perfectly fine. Okay, and it was interesting you mentioned protein as well, Alan. For, mm -hmm. I can understand the benefits for the longer races to help your muscles not break down as much. But there, there's a lot of, say, intermediate um, trail running races that are typically maybe three to four hours that a lot of our listeners would do. Would they yeah. get a performance benefit from taking a bit of protein in that type of race? Uh, that type of race? Or no. are you just enough for a three to four hour, maybe marathon trail race? No, three to four hours is fine. So, where, where this uh, is coming from, if you're looking at protein guidelines for athletes, uh, what you're looking at primarily, the most important thing is that you get your overall protein intake made. So for an endurance athlete, male, it's 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kg per day. Female, it's 1.6 grams approximately per day uh, per kilogram of body weight. So that's number one with protein. Number two, is that you get it from high biological value sources, so dairy, meat, protein products, fish, eggs, etc. And number three, then, if you're looking to kind of get an A plus on protein, you're looking to get a decent hit within every three hours. So that's that's where it kicks in. So if your race is about five hours or more, you're not going to be anywhere near that three hour window. In fact, it might be six or seven hours between protein feedings. So those amino acids do become quite important there. If it's a marathon, it's not the end of the world. That's perfectly fine. But in those types of sessions where you're, you're three or four hours on the go with no protein enduring it, you would look to get a protein hit in ASAP afterwards. So in that case only is a protein shake required post-workout because usually it's more sort of the carbs that are important ASAP. Oh, okay, super. And to take a step back before we even get to the race itself, um, Barry Lennon was wondering, Evan, that is there a perfect breakfast that we can take before our long run or before even our marathon or ultra on race day? I know it depends, Evan, as well, what we're looking maybe to get from the long run, whether we want to try and you know, adapt our body to a fat-based fueling strategy and we might go out just with a, a double espresso and a bit of coconut oil or a bit of butter in our coffee maybe before we go out. Or we might just look for a little bit of a top-up after a night's mm -hmm. sleep. Maybe we hone it down to race day and whether that's a, a marathon or yeah. an ultra race. Is there a okay. perfect breakfast, Evan, for, for that? So I suppose... To answer that question, 
there is no perfect breakfast. There are guidelines to look at pre-exercise, okay? But just before I get into that, just to note, right, the research is pretty conclusive that fat adaptation is not worth it. It's not a worthwhile thing to look to achieve for a multitude of reasons, even for an endurance athlete, for an ultra-endurance athlete. And I know... I know I'm going to get so much flack for this because people tend to be polarized, but here's the gist, right? Yes. You use more fat when you're at lower intensities, the intensities you use in longer uh, distance races. However, you do still contribute carbohydrates in that equation. And when your glycogen runs out, which it will after about two to four hours, depending on the intensity and what you've eaten prior, you will bonk. And you will suffer the symptoms of hypoglycemia and low glycogen levels, perceived exertion going up, drops in central drive, increased reliance on amino acid metabolism, um, lower lactate thresholds. All of those things still kick in, right? Yeah. And when we look at fat, ad- fat adaptation, the people who do it or engage in it are already well-trained athletes. There yeah. is a biological ceiling as to how much fat you can oxidize, right? So a trained endurance athlete, someone who's been running for years, five years or more, there's very little to gain from doing specific fat adaptation training, right? It's not as useful as you might think. And if we look at some of the recent research, like the supernova study in Australia, they did it on race walkers. No one ever studies race walkers. So I was obviously very interested. Um, (laughs) If you're looking to read it, it's very interesting. What they did was they tested walkers, put them on high carb and high fat. And here's the cool thing. The guys in the high fat versus low, low fat or low high carb even, um, when they were on a high fat approach or a low, even a low carb approach, whatever way you want to call it, their VO2 max is about 10 to 15% higher versus when they were on the carbs. And that's because of the metabolic adaptations that occur. That mitochondrial biogenesis, angiogenesis, increased ventilatory thresholds, all those things, right? So that, that sounds good on paper, but they did time trials with them and they were about 10 to 20% slower. So whilst your VO2 max goes up, essentially all it showed is that your body works increasingly harder to go at the same pace. So your, your economy and your efficiency drops by about 10, 15, 20% in some people. And that's because fat oxidation is very inefficient, even if you become quote-unquote adapted, okay? So for, for that reason, it's a bad idea. And high-fat high, high fat approaches, even if you do it in training and you think, right, on race day, sure, I have a few gels, it's not going to work. High-fat diets, as little as seven days, cause insulin resistance. So you're not going to be able to actually use the carbs as efficiently as if you were using them all along. And I, I will get to your question in a sec. I just want to finish um, elaborating on this because there's just one last bit to this. Yeah, I know it's fascinating. Fat. Please do. And that's why we love talking to you because I know that you'll have read up on the latest research and study and that everything that you're saying to us, it's all proven scientific fact-based research. So uh, by all means, please go on, Evan. It's great stuff. Okay, okay. So let's... Uh... Let's look at it for a second. I do advise clients to do little bits of fat fuel work only when it's appropriate to do so at appropriate time points for small amounts of time. So less than 60 minutes, very low intensity, 
never the week of a race, never the day before or after a tough training day, no more than twice a week, three times a week max. That's it. Wow. That's all. That's all they do. And the reason is that's enough to get that mitochondrial biogenic effect, the angiogenesis effect. Um, some people find it easier from a, a tummy point of view to train on an empty stomach. So that, that's just practical for them. But the reason we do it like that, the side effect of doing fat fuel training, you bonk your glycogen levels, your blood sugar is low. So from a dietary point of view, you're more likely to give in to cravings, comfort eat, and have bigger portions throughout the day. So for a weight management point of view, which is what a lot of people ultimately run for, in my experience anyway, uh, that's counterproductive. From a recovery point of view, glycogen repletion is one of the main things that will tell a sports scientist your exercise readiness or you know, how well you want to tolerate a session. Uh, if it's a tough session in particular, you're looking at at least two days if you really empty your glycogen tank before it's like back to anywhere where you could do any kind of hard work. So your recovery level drops or it takes longer. So you can train less or, or you get less from your training. Final wow. two things, when your glycogen is low, your muscle protein synthesis response to training is much lower. So you're not going to build muscle as effectively. You're not going to rebuild things, make, make strength gains, anything like that. And your immune system is a bit suppressed. So all in all, your recovery drops. So fat-fueled training, adaptation, very bad idea in big amounts. Really bad idea as well, just to point out, coconut oil, butter, coffees. Um, you, if you were looking for the most effective way to give yourself diabetes or a heart attack, eating things packed full of saturated fats would be exactly what you would be looking to do. So. Okay real real stupid stuff uh, yeah, so. yeah. It, it's great advice Evan because I'm sure there's a large percentage of our listeners and I must admit Evan that I am one of these people who that I need to train early in the morning because of work and family commitments so pretty much mm-hmm. six seven days a week um, I'm out the door within maybe an hour of getting out of bed and I get my training in okay. before I start work okay but from listening to that latest bit of research and your advice there I really should be trying to get something into me three or four of those mornings before I yeah. go out training. Because at the moment, Evan, I'm I'm pretty much training seven days a week nearly uh, without okay. anything in the in the stomach before I go out training. And I suspect probably there's a lot yeah. of people who are early morning trainers who just kind of roll out of yeah. bed, a bit of coffee, yeah. get their runners on, and out they go. And then yeah. that's done for the day. It's okay. great. But it sounds like medium to long term, we could be asking for trouble. Yes, you're definitely not going to progress at the rate you would like to. So a good good analogy here. Athletes oftentimes mistake progress or motion for progress. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Mistaking motion for progress. Okay. You, You could work much smarter. So what I'll do, I'll show you or give you the insight into how to fuel day to day training. And then race day, it's just kind of you do that on a bigger scale. So here's what you can do if you're doing a training session early morning and you're not able to eat a big breakfast. Do time constraints. You don't like to eat at 5, 6 a.m., whatever time you get up at. Exactly. You just can't do it. Here's what you do. About two hours before bed, you're looking for a decent-sized meal. So that high glycemic index meal I mentioned earlier on, move it slightly closer to bed. Big bowl of cereal, big bagel, whatever then another carb snack before you go to bed. So 
some something there like a, a whey or casein protein uh, mixed with some power jokes, for example that uh, that causes slow release your glycogen tank will fill up overnight you'll have a higher amount of circulating amino acids the, the training session won't be as hard on you the following day the morning okay. of if you have you said about 45 minutes to an hour before you go between getting up and going immediately downstairs get a glass of water get a coffee if it's a milky coffee that's better throw some sugar into it and if you can stomach half a banana do that that way you're getting around 30 to 40 grams of carbs in the door significantly better than nothing okay super great advice yeah so, i'll definitely take that on board evan and maybe i might even give you a shout in a couple of month, months time and let you know how i got on because i'm coming off a, yeah. a three-month base period now which is pretty much all being faster training in the morning time and over the last two weeks i've began yeah. to um, bring back in hard training sessions and um, reps pace runs into my training to try and get ready for the summertime i'm probably lucky that you know i'm listening to you talking about those eating techniques there to save me mm-hmm. from bunking too soon in my in my season yeah. and running out of yeah. steam um, too quickly. And I must admit that that probably happened to me because I was training like that, training fast mm-hmm. pretty much most days um, in the yeah. season before coronavirus came along, which would have been what? Yeah. Um, 2019, early 2020. That <laughs> by long time midway ago. through the season, I was whacked. Now, I was able to maybe put one performance out of a bag every out of the bag every month, but I was struggling mm-hmm. the rest of the time because I was running mm-hmm. on empty every morning. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, the argument among sports scientists, sports nutritionists, researchers, you're training for performance or adaptation. So this way you get the best of both worlds. You get the adaptation without the, I suppose, unnecessary impact on performance or health. So this is the, okay. the best way to do it that I've seen. Um, just, to, just to actually answer the question that you, <laughs> it feels like it was asked about 15 minutes ago at this stage. But perfect breakfast what, that Barry asked for, if there was one. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're well so, on our way to get to the answer. But what do, you, what do you have for us? So it's actually quite pleasant. Um, for a race day, optimal performance, think higher intensity, higher carb intake, it's a carb-rich breakfast, low fiber, low fat, to minimize risk of tummy problems. Yeah. My personal go-tos, a stack of pancakes. So not, not your Instagram model influencer protein banana pancakes. They're disgusting. Normal pancakes that you make flour, cover them in maple syrup, not honey. Honey is very high in fructose, might make you sick. Maple syrup is not. So that's, okay. that's an easy way to get 100, 120 grams of carbs in the door. Otherwise, a massive bowl of porridge with your syrup in it, a couple of berries, have um, have a bagel with it or have a, have a slice of toast with some jam. That's all you need to do. Three or four hours before your race, two hours pre-race, uh, very strong coffee, so French press coffee or nitro cold brew or something like that, and a banana, that's more than enough. And sip away on a bottle of water or a sports drink the 60 to 90 minutes pre your race start. And when you start your race like that, you couldn't possibly be in a better position to perform. Brilliant. And I noticed there was no real mention of any protein in that morning routine. Now, I know your oats will have a little bit of protein, maybe what, seven or eight grams per 100. Um, But you didn't mention any chicken breasts or boiled eggs or even protein supplements to throw in on top of your porridge. No. 
So the, the reason being like, if you're having, let's say, let's go for the pancakes, without adding whey protein into it, a large pro- portion of that is about 20 grams of protein anyway. Okay. A big bowl of porridge, the oats, the milk, if you throw some seeds in um, and you have a milk-based coffee with it, again, you're 20, 25 grams without adding protein powder in. Um, so, you know, if it's an ultra, yeah, you probably would throw a scoop of whey into your, into your breakfast that morning. And uh, you'd be putting those amino acids into your bottle before you get started. And okay. you'd have you'd have a you'd have a fueling strategy um, during the race. But I suppose race day and day to day nutrition are a bit different. The focus wouldn't be on let's make your protein intake perfect. It's you have to you have to stack it up against. I don't want you to vomit or have diarrhea in your race. So. Okay. That okay. uh, that will be more important than you just you just do do your best with it. Um, okay. Typically, great. Okay. Well, well, let's maybe change pace and take a breath and move <laughs> on to a slightly different topic: mm-hmm. snacks. And I suppose that the question is the snack or not the snack. Simon Kelly, Evan, who normally is on the show every week, giving us our race results, mm-hmm. and of course we haven't had Simon on for a couple of weeks now because there's no races to report on. So, so we miss Simon, and hopefully yeah. we'll have him back on soon. But his question was. Um, Top three daily good snacks for a high volume daily runner. So your, your top snack picks. Um, and that's, of course, if we even should be snacking, Evan. And maybe that's a, a point to start the conversation on. Yeah. So I'm very pro snack. So typically I'll try and structure my day, my client's days. If they have time and it's feasible, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack in between, snack in between, snack in the evening. Maybe a small thing before bed if they're very active. So my go-tos are more or less all the time, all real protein bars. Just I'm, I'm quite lazy with food and I don't, I don't have time to, you know, always cook big meals. So those protein bars are actually made in far and four and Kerry, um, big fiber content, big protein content. I'll eat one of them a day if I can. Then I will try and get something like a skirt or quark yogurt with some mixed berries in it and some seeds. That's yeah. another go-to snack of mine. And uh, depends how I'm feeling, then I'll try and get a piece of fruit and a handful of nuts in. Or if I feel like I want it, I'll have some chocolate and a coffee, and that's fine. A lot of people assume that because of what I do, I eat like a monk or hashtag clean, and I don't. And nor, nor should people look to. There's no actual, there's no evidence anywhere, right, to suggest that having a quote-unquote clean diet is better for you than a moderately balanced diet. And that's a boring, it's a boring approach and it's not a very marketable response um, for me to say, just have a balanced diet and moderate everything. But that's the truth, you know. That's, yeah. that's really the, the best way to do it. Yeah. What was the name of that protein bar, Evan? I just missed it that you mentioned it. All real. So if, if you go All onto real. my bio, if you go onto my uh, profile on Instagram, I have a link there. You can actually get, a, I think it's 10% off them. Um they're they're really they're really solid guys actually. Ross and Niles at the company up. It's it's relatively new. They yeah. wanted to make it with all Irish products. Uh, it, they have compostable uh, wrapping paper on them, and it, uh, it's it's a re- they're just really solid bars. Nutritionally speaking, they're they're pretty class. Um, like I've yet to see anything better. So it's just the fact that they're Irish then as well, and fairly sound. Uh, ah, kind of on the case. Absolutely. 
definitely ask all the listeners to support that, especially um, something that's Irish, as you said, and great to see people um, still being entrepreneurial as well. Moving yeah. on to maybe the next topic, Evan, um, supplements. Um, a couple of questions in, but there seems to be always questions on supplements. Damien Conway asks, and this uh-huh. is maybe even more relevant for the year that's in it, um, what are your thoughts on the supplement vitamin D? And I've even heard this on mainstream radio, Evan, that, that to help combat COVID-19 and vitamin Mm -hmm. D might actually be very helpful and as you know I'm based in Las Palmas I'm stuck here can't get home at the moment and we actually have quite low rates of COVID and I often wonder is it because um, the Canary Islands are quite a sunny place and everybody is well topped up on vitamin D so maybe apart from the um, potential side effects and benefits of um, preventing COVID from a performance point of view should we all Mm -hmm. be popping vitamin D and pills into us so I suppose the the link between vitamin D and say respiratory diseases is not new it's been known for quite a while that athletes who are deficient in vitamin D have a majorly majorly increased risk of having an upper respiratory tract infection in uh, you know autumn winter so on, on top of that just just with the COVID thing vitamin D deficiency results in higher likelihood of getting COVID and having worse symptoms. Um, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, where, where you are at the moment and you would think that living in a sunny place helps. Just yeah. a, bizarre, a bizarre statistic, and I only know it because I was studying there in Malta, which is probably similar latitude, very hot place, uh, an outdoorsy country. Most of the people are vitamin D deficient because they stay inside a lot to stay out of the heat. So your, your, lo- your location doesn't automatically give you uh, vitamin D immunity, uh, I suppose would be the best way to conceptualize that. Yeah. And just with sports performance, then people who are vitamin D deficient have an increased risk of connective tissue injuries and lower muscle strength. So there, there is a performance uh, enhancement to be having a, a, what I'm, I'm wording this very awkwardly it's not performance enhancing to take it it's performance reducing to be deficient in it so yeah. unless unless you drink a lot of fortified milk on a daily basis and eat salmon and mackerel almost every day there's a very good chance you're deficient in it particularly if you live in ireland you pair northern europe so about a thousand i use a day is pretty good for an athlete and taking 50 to 100 micrograms of vitamin K with that is a good idea, unless you want to develop kidney stones. So, yeah. uh, and, and I know as well, anybody I'm, I'm talking to, like I always encourage them to try and get out for a walk in the morning time and just get some sunlight onto their skin, which I think is a great natural way to get it. And, you know, instead of maybe... I don't know, getting driving to the shop or whatever it might be, um, just walk, take the half an hour walk to the shop and that maybe might help as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so, yeah, getting outside like in the morning, you know, you mentioned that um, it's, it's important to get sunlight on your eyes and on your skin in general. Research does show that doing that earlier in the day can help synchronize your body clock. So if you're having trouble sleeping, uh, sunlight exposure earlier helps you, helps tell your body that, okay, this is when I should be awake. 
and it helps you get to sleep better if you dim the lights at nighttime then as well, just yeah. to, to link it back into that. Damien mentioned fish oils and Fiona was asking about the, the best vitamin supplement that you would recommend. And I've heard you say before, Evan, that fish oils are very, very important. And I'm not too sure if they're top of your vitamin supplementation. I know it's, it's client dependent as well, but it, mm-hmm. generally speaking, should we all be popping our omega-3 tablets into us or, or what should we all be taking and while we're, while we're training hard? So I suppose vitamin D is the most common thing and vitamin okay. K with that. Um, a lot of people are iron deficient, so they need iron, sometimes B12, calcium for lactose intolerance, hypomenorrhea, late for postmenopausal. Um, so those, those would be the most common things. Omega-3s can, can be useful for people, but to point out their, I suppose, their utility, there is correlational research there that omega-3s can help reduce DOMS, muscle-induced inflammation, and decrease risk of cardiovascular problems, and as a, res- as a result, they're helpful recovery, so they're anti-inflammatory. It's not, uh, it's, it's not as potent as you would think. It is still important to get it in. So, yeah. and, the, and omega-3 or krill oil is a good idea, but it only fits in as one part of the puzzle for, for healthy fats. So if you're taking the omega-3 tablet or capsule a day, which which I do, I do when I remember to do it one or two a day and um, to get around a thousand milligrams of either a kaisopentanoic or the cosahexanoic acid. Those are your two bioactive omega-3s. You can okay. get it from chia seeds and flax seeds. What you get in that is alpha-linoleic acid, which isn't as highly bioavailable. So you're not going to get what you need from doing that, um, uh, strictly speaking. So just to, um, to summarize there, if you do a bulletproof coffee, eat a lot of butter, uh, eat coconut oil by the spoon, but take omega-3s, that's not going to kind of neutralize it. You need okay. to do, you, you know, have some olive oil, rapeseed oil spread on your meals, not frying with them, get your mixed nuts and seeds in, uh, try not to be frying in oils too much, try to use things like flour proactives, etc. Dane omega-3s oh. will fit into the healthier overall lipid profile by themselves. They're not the biggest deal in the world. It's just something that you should look to do as a, as a, as a finer detail. Okay, great. I think we have just about enough time um, for our last topic for today. And okay, last question. We, we saved the, the best for last. And we had a couple of people writing in, in about treats. And we all okay. need some treats, especially for the times that we're living in, especially when we're training hard. And Sinead Conley, for example, she asked, how yeah. do we get rid of our sweet tooth? The constant need to have a little bit of dessert after each main meal, is it just down to better willpower needed or is there some secret brain chemistry at play? So how do we so, kick the habit of our sweet tooth? I mean, if we need to kick it at all, especially when we're yes. training so hard. Exactly. I was going to say, is it something you need to kick? That's like saying, how do I make myself never be hungry? You know, it's, it's just a... It's a physical response to what you're eating or not eating. So a sweet tooth, typically, I have a sweet tooth, but humans naturally evolve eating fruit, sweet, sweet things, you know. Uh, it's why glucose is our primary fuel source. We actively seek out sweet things. In cases that we have low blood sugar, we have skilled meals, we're training a lot and not eating enough carbohydrates, 
we're tired, bored, hungry, angry. Uh, so how, how would I put this? If you are prone to engaging with a sweet tooth, if you're training a lot, that will make it more likely that you're going to want to have sweet things, particularly if you're not really diligent with your diet during the day, you leave big gaps, you don't eat enough carbohydrates in general, then you're going to have a sweet tooth. Is it something okay. you should look to get rid of? No, but it is something you should notice. If you have a particularly sweet tooth, ask yourself, um, why is this the case? Have I eaten enough carbs? Am I eating enough in general? Am I losing weight too quickly? Am I recovering appropriately after training? Look at those things first before you try and white knuckle yourself into a clean diet. I'm pretty pro sweet tooth. Uh, I think a small, like a moderate amount of chocolate a day or whatever you like is fine. And, and that, that should be the case. It's not something you should feel bad about or, or think that you're, you're being counterproductive with as long as you take all the other boxes. Yeah, Barry Lennon was actually asking, Evan, if sugar-free drinks as, you know, for example, Coke Zero, are mm-hmm. they, first of all, better than their standard Coke, normal Cokes? So I suspect you're going to say they are. Mm-hmm. But is Barry kidding himself by taking the sugar-free version? Should he just get rid of it altogether? Or as similar to what we were just saying there, are those sugar-free drinks, um, are, are they acceptable if we're training hard? So a sugar-free a sugar-free drink, that was actually, you know, I was going to suggest some substitutes. If you have a very sweet tooth, you don't want to just automatically default to chocolate. Uh, sugar-free drinks, coffees with sweeteners in them, uh, frozen yogurts, frozen berries, the all-real protein bars or any kind of protein bar. Uh, all of those things are perfectly suitable alternatives to just engaging with a sweet tooth. Popcorn as well, I don't know if I mentioned that perfectly healthy things to go for all of them are pro health if you think about the fact that drinking sugar outside of exercise is really correlated with increased risk of type 2 diabetes fatty liver and obesity so you know if if you were trying to argue is flat coke better than regular coke as a training product you know degassing and taking an exercise then the regular stuff is better in every other scenario more or less, um, the, the, the sugar-free stuff is best. Okay. Okay. So listen, does, does that okay make sense? Dark, yeah, I'm okay with my dark chocolate. Barry's okay with his sugar-free Coca-Cola. And maybe just yeah. to round off today, Evan, let's round it off on a beer because Simon Kelly was wondering, we mentioned Simon earlier on, Simon just yeah. had one more question. And Simon was wondering about a nice post-race beer. Does that actually help for recovery? And then he was also talking about um, a relatively new product, I think, on the market. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Isotonic beers he was saying brilliant or absolute <laughs> rubbish um what, what do you reckon first of all is it okay to have a beer post a hard yeah. piece and are these yeah. isotonic beers are they any use so i suppose you know it depends how much beer you're drinking like if now here's the thing right if it's the big race you're training for for the season and that's the end of it a few beers is not a problem let's pretend you're an elite athlete preparing for tokyo in a few months and you just qualify today and you decided to go on the lash for three days that's obviously not super because you have to get back on track immediately yeah. beer can take away from your recovery it does do that because it affects your sleep architecture so sleep is where you get the actual response to your race so if that was your goal race for the year or you're not too fussed about being the absolutely best athlete you can be 
by all means, have a few beers. Don't, don't drink isotonic beers. It's not that they're bad. If you're going to celebrate, don't celebrate and a compromise. That would be my, my advice. Go for something like a Coors Light, a Heineken Zero or a Carlsberg Zero. Lighter beers and don't automatically assume a takeaway is required and that the next day is a write-off. If you do those things, one or two beers is fine. Okay. Well, listen, Evan, it's been a real masterclass today, Evan. Thank you very much for coming on. Some, some brilliant tips, and hopefully that will set the listeners up for, for the summer racing season when races do come back. Evan, yeah. I know that you've got a couple of spots available at the moment. You've just come to the end of your first cycle for the year, your first three-month uh-huh. section with a lot of your clients. So there's a couple of spots available now for the second semester. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, where's the best and place where they can find you so best place to find me is on instagram at helinchfitnut or visit my website www.evanlynchfitnut.com that's where i'm i am based i'm pretty responsive if someone gets in touch i'll usually try and call them within 24 hours so leave your number and you'll get a call from me pretty sharpish if you are looking to come on board the next cohort is starting april 5th uh, I have approximately five spaces left at the moment. I've been able to um, take on about 15, 20 people this April. I'm, I'm adding a few new things to the, to the service. So there's a members portal. There's, there's weekly check-ins. There's new resources for clients. Yeah, I, I just, you know what? I'm just looking forward to helping people actually race. People came on in January hoping that they would get to perform, do a couple of races. And now they've all done time trials and it's, it's all gone very well. Like this this cohort between January and March, they've they've gone really well. Like average weight loss of six, seven kilos per person, performance increases, happier with their diet, their food, sleep is better. There's, there's a lot of wins. So I'm expecting more out of the next cohort because they'll actually get to race. So we'll see their results come into fruition. So if people are interested, do act fast. I don't want to have to put anyone on the waiting list. So the spots do fill up quick so yeah get, get in touch if you're even on the fence about it we, we can chat to it do for you brilliant super Evan so maybe we can touch base again at the end of the second quarter and then see how all of those clients did and uh, maybe get a few more questions and answers to you Evan thanks a million for today and we'll talk to you soon my pleasure have a good one And that's a wrap for episode 24 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. And thank you, as ever, to our running coach expert, Rene Borg, and to Evan Lynch for joining us this week and going through all of those different questions. Do make sure to give him a shout-out, guys, if you need any nutritional advice. He's fantastic, and he's done a lot of great work with Athletics Ireland um, in the recent past as well. I mentioned just a couple of times during the two interviews about getting back racing. And this weekend, it's Sunday night now, just when I'm finishing off the show, show i got back racing myself here where i'm based in las palmas and it was absolutely brilliant to get back racing hopefully hopefully everybody across europe and of course back home in ireland as well can't get back out racing soon there was a couple of interesting things about the race there that happened this saturday in terms of covid precaution and so on and first of all we had to sign two different forms leading up to the race that we weren't suffering from any COVID-19 symptoms. We had to make a commitment not to bring any friends or family to the race area. 
we went to collect our race number at a specific time of the day we had a 15 minute window to collect our race number and then on race morning itself it was pretty much just straight to the start line everybody was separated out and um, i think two three meters apart all in different rows and then everybody went off one by one and then your time was just taken from when you crossed the starting line about 10 minute 10 meters away from the holding area down to the finish line and then after the race nobody hung around everybody just went straight off and it was all very safe and it was all great fun it was a really really great day great morning to be back out racing and fingers crossed everybody back home in ireland will be able to get back out training in good numbers training further away than the five kilometers from your house and get back racing for the summertime because if they can do it here in spain where i'm based at the moment it can be done in ireland as well so guys keep training keep well and looking forward to talking to you all in episode 25 in the next episode of the trail running ireland podcast everybody get your running gear on let's go